the pioneer of compassionate listening said, an enemy is someone whose story you haven't heard. Hey everyone, welcome back to University. I'm Anne-Marie Chiresso, your host. On today's show, I'm talking to Lori Archibald, a compassionate listening facilitator and my stepdaughter. So it's an incredibly beautiful Sunday afternoon here in Chicago. The sun is shining. It's really warm. It feels like spring has finally found its way here. And obviously we're still sheltering in place, but today felt like a big, huge breath of fresh air. And as I sat in my yard listening to the birds, as a matter of fact, I almost recorded this with my office door open because the birds seem to be celebrating so much outside my window. And I hardly ever really listened to the birds, but I noticed that as the world around me is quieted down and cars aren't around and not as many people are on the street and the neighborhood is quieter, even in the city, I can hear the birds more. And it's been really fun to just be still and listen a little bit this afternoon on my back patio. Which brings me to this week's episode with Lori Archibald, my stepdaughter, who I happen to know loves nature. She lives on 20 acres of land in Seattle, the foothills of the Cascade Mountains, on a lake and spends as much time as she can with her husband out in nature, kayaking, hiking, biking, and listening much different from my city life in downtown Chicago. And I could think back even to a few recent family vacations on hikes where Lori would point out various birds by listening to their unique sounds. So I'm so fascinated with her ability to identify birds by sound. But when you stop and listen, it's a really fun game to play. It's not just for older people in retirement. All those unique sounds going on all around us. And most of the time, we're not really hearing any of it. So it doesn't surprise me that Lori takes her ear for listening out in nature, as well as into her relationships and life as a compassionate listening guide. So what is compassionate listening? The Compassionate Listening Project is a nonprofit that teaches powerful skills for peacemaking. The curriculum for compassionate listening grew out of many years of reconciliation work on the ground in Israel and Palestine, beginning way back in 1991. They've adapted their trainings for peace building in everyday life and began to teach here in the U.S. in 1999. Here we're going to join my conversation as Lori and I talk about how she ended up finding her way to compassionate listening. It's been a number of threads that came together in my life. I knew about the organization and the nonprofit long ago through a colleague for a different company that I worked for, and I kind of bookmarked it. I said, oh, they do trips to the Middle East. They work in Israel and Palestine, and I majored in Middle East studies and religious studies, and that was kind of something I was always interested in. And they were doing conflict resolution work, which I had always been drawn to. So I I bookmarked it, and then... I quit that corporate job and moved to Washington State to do more of the nature connection work that I've been involved with. And they're here. And so it was kind of like this coming together of these worlds. And the second I participated in a compassionate listening training, and I experienced that deep listening and the healing that can happen when two people or more than that, groups of people even 
really drop into that way of listening, I was like, this is amazing work. I want to be involved. And I became a facilitator and started leading the journeys and doing all kinds of stuff with them because it's just so powerful. In fact, my husband and I had, I think it was our sixth wedding anniversary. We went to the basic training together. And then the next week we had our sixth wedding anniversary and we got in a huge fight on our wedding anniversary right before we were about to go out to dinner. And it really had the, it felt like it had the potential to just completely wreck our celebration. And we ended up sitting down on the bed face to face and engaging in this one practice that we learned together at the workshop. And it, it was completely transformative and kind of saved the night. It didn't change what we were fighting about, but it, but it definitely helped us hear each other. It changed the way you were being with the fire. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. So I really love how the threads of your life led you organically to what you do and how you do it. Cause I read on your, mm-hmm. I mean, I obviously I know this about you, but I also read on your new website, which is awesome, how your middle child and sort of the peacemaker and mediator in the family from a very young age. And then you said, yeah, conscious listening was sort of on my radar and I bookmarked it. And then life just sort of in your interests in Israel and Palestine and the Middle East and all that, it's like breadcrumbs, right? You've been following these breadcrumbs in your life. You just follow your interests and you trust it and it all came together organically for you. It totally. Just, it's so cool. Cause I know a lot of people listening into the podcast are young and in this early stage of their life trying to figure out who they are. And mm-hmm. there's a way in which I think so many people go through this checklist, like I should do this and I should do this and I should do this. And what I really like to talk about is what we really just need to do is listen to ourselves and follow what lights us up. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a huge part of my learning and it's not been an easy learning necessarily. It's been challenging and felt really risky at times to trust. And one of the core practices of compassionate listening is cultivating compassion. And I think the more that I engage in that practice and the more that I slow down and learn to listen to myself, I've always been like oriented towards listening to others but listening to my own inner knowing has been a big journey for me. And yeah, doing things that uh, my dad, sometimes we joke about, you know, in college, he's like, are you sure you don't want to major in finance or, you know, so why don't you do a, a joint degree with business and religious studies? You know, it's kind of a joke we talk about sometimes and it's like, well, no, I didn't do that. And here I am doing something totally relevant to what I was interested in and studied. So, so you were listening to yourself. And you didn't dad or mom or outside voices get in the way even back then? Yeah, I mean, I definitely had moments of, oh, I should have listened. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm blessed to be in a partnership with my husband who he's a similar kind of renaissance man who follows his own guidance and voice and really is interested in giving his unique gifts in the world. So we get to support each other in that way and not have to do something that we think others are expecting. So you didn't feel a lot of pressure at that time in your life from dad. Was it nagging you? Because that is so common, right? So many people foul what their parents think they should be doing. It's hard for me to even remember that time, honestly. There's definitely been moments of wondering and, oh gosh, what did I do? I still have those moments now looking towards the future, but it's okay. (laughs) Tell us what compassionate listening actually is? Well, I want you to start with what is the opposite of compassionate listening? 
Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, I guess it would be just some version of I'm right. I have the answer. Let me tell you. Talk, talk, talk. You know, being stuck in your own perspective and unwilling to step into another person's shoes and just the the righteous indignation of I know and I, I've got the whole answer. Yeah. So one clue we can all, you know, like bookmark for ourselves is if we're feeling righteous and we know we're probably not in a practice of listening compassionately. Yeah. Like good red flag. Okay. Let's pause. Let's look at what's happening here. If you're interested in that, some people aren't and that's okay. Compassionate listening to answer your other question, what it is, it's a it's a practice. And for many people, it's a spiritual practice. It's rooted deeply in what the faith traditions forever have known that one of the greatest resources we have as human beings is the wisdom of our heart. So it's all about strengthening those pathways back to our heart as a way of inner knowing, as a way of guidance, as a way of grounding, particularly when you're in the heat of conflict. I think that we live in a culture now where we're so disconnected from our hearts that even talking about it sounds like woohooey and hairy fairy and like it's too soft or something. Yeah. And I want to like emphasize this for a moment because really so much strength comes from heart centered listening and Mm -hmm. there's so much wisdom that comes from our heart and we live in our heads. Like we're so in our heads all the time. And I really like to talk about and teach the coherence between head and heart. Wait, so, oh wait, so talk about that for a minute because you also, we can't yes. math heart math now. Right, right. Yeah, I'm also a heart math trainer. So, and I personally felt that when I started listening, participating with compassionate listening is like, oh, like some of it's a little woo-woo in the language, but it, it really makes a difference. So I'll stick with it. And then as I started engaging with the Heart Math Institute, which has been studying the human heart and its role in human performance for decades, and is really kind of like on the cutting edge of understanding that there's neural information in the heart. There's a little brain, a little heart brain, that there's more information that goes from the heart to the head than vice versa, that this idea of coherence that you just said is actually scientifically and physiologically sound. There's all kinds of things happening in our autonomic nervous system and our hormonal system that when we're in coherence and we're in that kind of, I'm doing this because there's a way you can measure your heart patterns, yeah. your heart rate variability. Her to go up and down across the screen, yeah. Yeah, it's um, that that's just enormously beneficial to us as human beings. And we think better, we communicate better, we our immune systems respond positively. There's so much that goes into the wisdom of the heart. And it's it's easy to relate to that as airy-fairy, like you said, based on our culture, but it really is, there's some deep science and profound implications with it all. You touched on a few minutes ago how you and Jared were in a conflict on your anniversary and you used these compassionate listening skills to not shift the conflict or the content necessarily, but shift the way you were being with the conflict. So obviously we can see how compassionate listening is supportive to personal interpersonal relationships. I like that we touched on first listening to ourselves because it all starts there. Then how compassionate listening can help with interpersonal relationships. So it's like a, it's another thread out. And then how do you think compassionate listening or this skill is important for us as we get outside of just the intimacy of our own lives? 
Yeah, it's it's a great question. It's I think relevant in so many ways. I mean, like you said, our our lives they exist in our relationships, right? They exist in who we're connected to and how we're in community and you know what we're interested in accomplishing and all of that involves a whole different ecology of relationships. So, using these tools to connect with people in that way is important. And I think we talk about creating sustainable solutions. Um, Like when we go to the Middle East and do this work with folks, a lot of the people that we sit with or organizations or different, different people in all various across the spectrum, politically, religiously, whatever label you want to give it. And I think that with groups, not just individuals who do not see eye to eye and are in some kind of intractable conflict. The sustainable solutions really come from first being willing to hear. The pioneer of compassionate listening said an enemy is someone whose story you haven't heard. And we see that time and time again when people just pause and listen to someone's story and humanize their other that they, whether it's on an individual basis or a group basis or a cultural basis, they start to understand that there's some label available other than enemy. And from there, there's possibility of movement. There's, there's a way to create those sustainable solutions and not just fix some problem that's going to return because you're still othering that person. One of the things that's becoming so clear to me through the COVID shelter in place time in our lives is interconnection. And Mm -hmm. I love this as a reminder because coronavirus is teaching us of our ultimate interconnection with one another. And there's no boundaries and it knows no race. It knows no color. It knows no religion. It's just, we are all equalized to a certain extent. I don't want to, um, I don't want to ignore the fact that there's still inequity in the world, even around coronavirus. And I want to honor that inequity. But just if you're just speaking to, we all have an equal opportunity to be impacted by what's occurring. And we're deeply interconnected. And I think along with this piece about not being connected to our hearts, I think we forget that we're connected to each other and that we can't other each other because we are so interdependent on one another. So Mm -hmm. I love this as a gateway to remembering that because it's really Mm -hmm. easy to forget because we separate ourselves so much in our culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially our Western culture, very individualistic. And yeah, I I hear what you're saying. We've been talking a lot of the facilitators of compassionate listening about our mycelium networks and just how really we are connected. And it's just bringing this reality that we sometimes forget right up in front of us. And I also just really appreciate you naming that. Yes, this it's honoring the inequities that you just said, but it's also like, that's what's also coming up is that's a part of our interconnectedness. You know, there's just so much that's rising that's been there and a part of our interconnectedness that we've been able to ignore. And now it's like, whoa, okay, well, here are these things that aren't working. Yeah, we can't actually ignore it. I mean, we can, we can choose to ignore it, but we're seeing the consequences all over the place when we're not paying attention and listening. I love how this time is waking us, me up. Let's, I'm going to speak to me for a moment, like how I am in the world and how much 
I'm not paying attention to because there's a lot I don't pay attention to in my own little bubble in my own little world. And it's not for any other reason that we just get busy and caught up doing our doings. We forget to look around. We forget to pay attention. We forget to know. And now in this slowing down, I can't actually ignore the things that I used to be able to ignore to some extent. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And like just little things like the way we consume like I don't consume anything anymore except groceries. Life has changed and I'm yeah. I'm loving the opportunity it's giving me to listen in to myself and how I actually want to be in the world. Yes. Yeah, this time of intense like shedding and feels to me like a reprioritizing what it is that I want to say yes to and what it is that I've been saying yes to that I'm now clear, oh, that's that's actually not going to I'm not going to carry that forward. Is there anything you're willing to share? that you're not willing to carry forward? (laughs) Um, As you know, my husband and I have gone through various stages of living in a tiny house and downsizing and really trying to live the minimalist life. And I'm now in a house again for the first time in a while. And I've noticed just how how brainwashed I am into consume, 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 more, more, more new shirt's going to make me feel better or something. It's just, and I can recognize it now in a way that with the slowing down that we've been talking about that it's like, oh, okay, I'm still in that trap. How am I going to continue to move away from it? And I think about, you know, after September 11th and George W saying like, okay, let's get back to shopping. And, you know, and like our economy has been so wrecked by this, that there's also some, something to be said about that, but it's just like, personally, I'm like, okay, going to the garden, not going to look at my Instagram ads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's great. I, one of the things I'm noticing is, you know, we have seven people living here, as you know, and cooking is an issue because there's a lot of people and it's time consuming and I can get really lazy about it, but I haven't been able to be lazy about it. I have to be really intentional and mm-hmm. We haven't been to the grocery store in 10 days. I made a really intentional list with meal planning, all that stuff. And it's, this is going to sound super silly, but it really feels empowering. Like I took care of it. Like, cause normally it's like four o'clock on a Tuesday. I'm like, shit, what are we going to have for dinner? I'm going to figure this out. We'll just Instacart something because life has become so convenient and easy that we're sort of gluttonous and gross in a way. Like it's just too easy. So I don't have to plan ahead. And now, the deal is we have to plan ahead. I mean, I guess we, we don't have to. People can go to, still go to the grocery store every day. We're two blocks from a Whole Foods, but we're just more intentional about it. And it's brought some peace into mm. the way we're living together. And it's just sort of a yeah. side note, but I want to get back. Yeah, it's to cool. That. It's just changed me. So I wonder, like I've been talking a lot to myself about what are the, the benefits of what's going on right now in my life and how am I going to actually take them forward or will I actually take them forward? after this starts to settle, the dust starts to settle. I hope we all take pause and take forward what we're learning now into the future. Hey guys, you're still here. I hope that means you're enjoying this episode as much as me. And I want you to know I really appreciate you. And today I have a gift for you. 
You see, right before coronavirus hit, I launched my new brand, and I was really excited to launch my new online membership community for young people, where we gather weekly online for 30 minutes to practice meditation, connect with one another, share, and get some live coaching from me to help navigate everyday life stresses. With all that's currently going on in the world, we're all so much more stressed and likely way more disconnected these days. So I've created a space to connect intimately and authentically so we can support one another as we navigate these crazy times. You know, originally I was offering these memberships at a low monthly rate so it could be accessible to everyone. But in the spirit of all that's occurring in the world right now, I feel inclined to offer this for free to any young adult in or just out of college. So if you or someone you know could use a place to be seen, supported, heard, and held in community of like-minded folks, I hope you'll take advantage of this invitation. Like I said, it's a monthly membership. You'll have four opportunities to connect per month, and you can drop in whenever you like, no obligation. To register now, head over to annemariechiresso.me or text MEDITATE to 474747. And I'll be on the lookout for you. So welcome back to university. You're listening to my conversation with Lori Archibald. We've been talking about compassionate listening, the wisdom of the heart, and how to create sustainable change in the world through this work. Let's rejoin the conversation as we get into how compassionate listening can actually change the world. said you've done some work in Israel and Palestine, and I want to know politically and socially how you think compassionate listening contributes to changing the world. (laughs) That's a small question. Um, (laughs) I personally, when you asked me earlier about how I got to be at compassionate listening and the threads that I've been following in all of my roles and all of my jobs and all the organizations that I've worked for, there has been a value on people's uniqueness, people's wholeness, people's, like people are human beings. People are doing the best they can in many ways. And we could have a bajillion different conversations about what I mean by that. But there's this honoring of people that has also been kind of this thread of like really deeply listening to people and what does that make available. And I personally think that the polarization and the increased hostile political environment that we've seen in the last couple of years, that all of that, while there's activism and there's advocacy and there's things to stand for, there's also a very important component through all of that of just, okay, what are you saying? What What do you care about? What do you value across any place where we draw distinctions between human beings, class, race, whatever it is, there's a bajillion different ways that we create otherness with ourselves and people, people we know, people we don't know. And I think compassionate listening is a really important factor, a really important part of the answer to decreasing that divide. You mentioned activism and advocacy, which I loved. And I love, I love talking about that because the very heart of advocacy or activism is like, I'm standing for some injustice that's occurring. 
and yeah. this must change. And I want to honor that, right? Because I want to honor the beauty of standing for a new way of being when something's not working for the whole. But I wonder how compassionate listening, is it going to scare an advocate or an activist? You know, because this is why we get righteous, right? We get righteous because we're afraid we're not going to be heard. Yeah, or we're afraid that people are going to continue to take advantage of people, or we're afraid that we're not going to be a good ally if we actually stop and listen to this person that we deeply disagree with. And so in Compassionate Listening, we talk about listening does not does not equate agreement. You know, just, just mm. if I'm willing to, from my heart, listen to you, it doesn't mean I agree with you. But it does mean that I'm willing to see you as a human being. I'm willing to understand that you have a completely different background and perspective that's led you to this point of view. And I'm willing to listen for like, what do you value? How did you end up here? And I think in speaking to those deeper values that we we train people in with compassionate listening, there's there's a possibility for a dialogue that maybe wouldn't have been there before. And that's not always going to be the case. It's not like compassionate listening is a, a the answer to everything. You know, there is a time for, no, that doesn't work. You're causing harm. And to stop that before engaging. But I think about all the, all the different places in the world where like, you know, Desmond Tutu's No Future Without Forgiveness is a book that's really impacted me. And the truth and reconciliation process in South Africa wasn't about condoning the actions of folks. It was about hearing stories. It was about humanizing everyone and then actually handing out, okay, you now have this sentence because you did this thing that was wrong, but not in a way that's going to further dehumanize all the parties and continue to create just further the conflict. The thing that's coming up in me right now is like compassionate is simply opening your heart or understanding another's point of view and perspective. Like I love this piece where you said listening doesn't mean agreeing. And I think that's where we all get hooked so much is, you know, you're not listening to me is you're not agreeing with me. And yeah. I mean, this just happened with Kim and I, your dad and I, the other night, because we got into a, you know, an argument, we got in a fight, like a huge fight. And I'm yelling and he's yelling. And we weren't listening to each other because we weren't available to be listening. I was committed to proving my point. He was committed to defending his position. And we couldn't hear each other. And we're in this practice of conscious listening. We're in all sorts of practices. We practice, I mean, practice, practice all the time. And we still get hooked. And one of the things he said to me is like, you think I'm not listening because I'm not agreeing with you. And I'm like, no, you're not listening because you're not listening. And so it was just this back and forth. And I think we get hooked that way interpersonally and out in the world, politically, socially. There's so many ways. And if we don't learn that skill in our interpersonal relationships, we're not able to bring them into our social activism work. We're not able to bring them into our workplace. We're not able to bring them out into the big wide world. Yeah. Yeah. Why I think this is such a fundamental skill to learn at a really young age and nobody knows how to do it because it's a skill. It's not like a thing you're born naturally knowing how to do. Totally. I think you're speaking to something that's just so fundamental to us as human beings. We're just wired to want to be right. There's like big payoffs for us in that and it feels good and at least for a little while. It's like whether it's in your relationship with your partner or if it's at a political rally, like 
like we're all wired that way. And that's why I love this practice is because it's taking a moment to pause, as you said, to, to recognize, okay, what, what is going on with me right now? I am more committed to being right than I am to even just hearing where this person is. And if you can just be aware of and recognize, obviously is the first step. And then there's something else that becomes available in that pause. And again, it's not, it doesn't mean that you're not going to end up where you were like, well, I think differently, but at least you've then given that person a chance to express their truth. You know, Mark Nepo, who I know you and my dad love, there's this part that in a poem or a piece that he, he wrote that says, if, if I dare to hear you, I will feel you like the sun and grow mm-hmm. in your direction. And I just love that. And I feel like that's at the core of a lot of compassionate listening practices. Do you think anyone and everyone's capable of it? And I don't mean like, but I mean capable. I mean, we may choose not to, but do you think there's, like I sometimes hear myself think um, you might be 10 or 12 years old and you're not capable of listening compassionately until you have a lot more years and wisdom ahead of you. I don't think that's true. I think we're all capable of it and it may just look differently. I'm thinking about some of the most generous listening that I've received is from my four-year-old niece, Emma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, well, they're really not developed yet. So yeah. Okay. Maybe I'll wait till she's 12 and report back out. Well, there is this time in like the teenage years where like righteousness is just sort of your birthright at some point. And yeah, I think still it's a skill we need to learn, but yeah, I think there might be conditions that make it more challenging than others, including age and development. And I don't think it's something that's, that's not, in reach for any of us at any time as human beings. That's personally what I feel. <sighs> I'm just taking a breath. There was a lot there. Is there anything you want to say? Like, what is your greatest wish for doing this work in the world? I'm actually morphing right now. I, I would have used to say something like uh, peace in the Middle East or something like that, um, which it's not that I don't still hope for that. But I think it's more of an individual relationship now that I hold a lot of hope with that every single person, and it's not just about compassionate listening. It's one of the avenues I found that makes a big difference, but it's more about that inner guidance that you were talking about. Like the more people that we can support and myself included, this is an ongoing journey for me and being connected to what are my gifts? What am I here for? What do I want to contribute to the world? What's authentic to me? And how do I navigate all of that amongst all of these other people and beings that I'm here with? I just feel like the more grounded and connected we can become to ourselves and others, the more hope I have for what we're needing to shift in this world. That feels so true to me. That's like fundamentally the single most important thing I think there is if we can stay connected to ourselves. That I think the world will be a wildly different place. Yeah. What What do you imagine the world would look like if that were true for all of us? I'm just thinking about myself and how much of a journey that's been and how much that's not that shows up in my life, you know, not connected shows up in my life. It's like, I don't know. I don't know what my life would look like if I were constantly that. I honestly don't know. I imagine like a little fairyland where people are like, towing around with fairy dust and everyone's happy, blissfully doing whatever they want. And no one's really paying attention to anyone else. And yeah, <laughs> it's sort of this utopian, ridiculous scenario in my mind, which I know is 
silly, but I, I sort of imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's interesting to think about. I, I certainly hope there'd still be drama and conflict, but we'd all just like relate to it a lot differently. Jared and I, my husband and I talk about, you know, what would it be like if TV shows actually taught us how to do these things and, and use these skills. And it would just, it'd just be a different kind of drama because drama would still happen. Yeah. 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 But we just learn I'm imagining the two of you having the argument in the restaurant on your anniversary, which everyone's like sitting at the edge of their seats because they're wanting to watch and then then cutting to the scene in your bedroom and you guys are calmly listening to everyone turning the TV off like, yeah, that's boring. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, we were definitely addicted to, I'm a big drama queen, according to some people in my life. So I get it. I don't know that about you. Yeah, I talked to Jared. One thing that came up earlier in our conversation is, um, and that now we're talking about TV and the way we relate to drama in the world, is I'm noticing how much we divide one another. Like I'm thinking about like sporting events and politics and coming together at dinner. It's like we have to have a position to defend, to be in conversation with one another. Like I find socially, if we're not talking about politics at a dinner, which I don't engage in conversation around politics. I don't find it interesting. People don't know what to talk about. Like, I think the drama gives us a way to connect because we don't know how to connect from a heart-centered space. Yeah, maybe. I also wonder if like one of the things that popped in my head when you were sharing is that we sometimes talk about conflict as like a bad thing. And maybe it's just the way in which we relate to it that needs some shifting and like that's just going to be there because we're all human beings and it's how we hold it and relate to it that is needing to shift yeah i think that's right you and i are going to do a webinar together we haven't come up with a date yet but we're going to get really into the meat of these practices so that those who are interested can come on learn ask questions real time together and really start to learn how to integrate these practices. So I'm yeah. doing that. Me too, Amory. And maybe I'll just name the five core practices because I realized I didn't do that. Yeah, please do that. I talked about cultivating compassion. That's the first one. And then there's developing the fair witness, which is zooming out and kind of gaining perspective, getting out of the in itness of it. Um, so developing the fair witness, respecting self and other. Hmm. and then listening from the heart and speaking from the heart. And those are the five core practices of compassionate listening. Yeah, and you can name those, but I think, it, again, it's like we can know them in our head, but to really be able to practice those in the moment when we're in a triggered state, it's really hard. When we're triggered, we are cut off from those very things that you're saying we need to use, we, we don't yeah. have access to them because we're in the state of fear. So we don't know how to connect to it. So we get disconnected and we all get up in our ego. So I think those are beautiful. I know from my own personal practice, how hard it can be in the moment. Practice is the key word. It's literally is rewiring It's strengthening pathways back to the heart. And you can't do that without practice. How do you practice? A bajillion different ways. I notice when I'm in my body, when I am wanting to be right and I pause and the compassionate listening workshop is all experiential based on these 
core principles to give you practices. Another thing that I've only recently started doing in life is I have coherence building practices and resilience building practices with the heart math sensor. I find the more I do that, the more aware I am when I'm not in coherence and that gives me access to practicing. And then I get out of nature. I think that's so key. Yeah. Thanks for those. I, I have a really devoted meditation practice. So I think that serves me so well. And obviously I preach and teach meditation because I think everyone should meditate. But I think you pointing out things like going into nature, that's a form of meditation. There's lots of ways in which meditation is just getting still and quiet and going inward. Yeah. Many ways to do that. But this idea of practicing, building those muscles so that when we're in the game, we can actually pull upon those tools that we need so that we can apply what we've learned to the moment. So it's totally. not, not theoretical. It's, it's actually very practical and, you know, have patience with yourself as you're learning these new skills because they don't come easily to us because we're so human. So I think that's an yeah. important thing to point out. Yeah. Compassion for yourself is key. Thanks, Laurie. Love you. Thanks. Love you too. All right. Talk to you later. So that was my conversation with my stepdaughter, Lori Archibald. You can find out more about her at theListeningWillow.com. And Lori, thank you so much for being with me. I really enjoyed it. Okay, now for a little homework. This idea of compassionate listening all begins with our ability to attend to what we're hearing. We start small and build our awareness gradually. So today, let's play listening to the birds. When I used to go into schools and teach mindfulness to little ones, I would start with mindful listening. And when I find myself in the preschool classrooms, I would assign this homework and the kids were great at it. So I'm challenging us all to go back to our preschool selves and listen to the birds. And it's a really simple practice. Just go outside, set a timer for five, 10, or even 15 minutes and simply listen for the bird sounds. Now your mind's gonna naturally wander to all the other sounds, including the sounds in your head that we call thoughts. But each time you notice your mind wander away from the sounds of the birds, just go back to looking for the sounds of the birds. And with this, you can even practice noticing how many different kinds of bird sounds you hear. I've been doing this all day today and I even recorded just a little bit from the birds in my yard for you to listen into. So those were the sounds from my yard. See what you find in your yard. I hope you enjoy. And don't forget to tune in for our webinar, a compassionate listening webinar with Lori, Julie Lithcott Haynes, an inspiring panel of young adult activists, advocates, leaders, and social entrepreneurs, where we're going to be talking about what does it mean to listen compassionately to change the world. The webinar is Wednesday, May 13th, 1130 Pacific, 230 Eastern. You can register in the show notes in the link. Okay. 
That's all for now. May you breathe easily. Take it one moment at a time and keep doing the things you love. I'll see you next time. The university's executive producer is Tyler Green of thestoryproducer.com. This podcast is also produced and edited by Katie Clarkson. The university team also includes Marsha Craig, Ashwath Narayanan from Culture Media, Adam Harris, and Kim Redding. University is a production of Bring It Home, founded by Anne-Marie Chiresso. You can find out more at A-N-N-M-A-R-I-E-C-H-E-R-E-S-O dot me. Or follow us at Anne-Marie Chiresso on Instagram. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to this show on your favorite podcast app and write us a review. It really does help us have more of an impact in the world. Thanks so much for listening in, and I look forward to seeing you next time. going to the garden, not going to look at my Instagram ads.